When you know God, when you walk with God, in New Testament terms, when you have come to embrace His Son as your Lord, as your Savior, life in this world can still be described as vanity. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What's your personal philosophy? How do you live your life? Hello there, I'm Bill Wright. And today, Tom begins a new two-part series titled Ecclesiastes, A Biblical Philosophy of Life. There's nothing new under the sun, and all of life is transitory. As Solomon said, vanity. That's a recurring theme throughout the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. But is there more to the story? Ecclesiastes unfolds in such a way as to help you see life from God's perspective. It reveals the principles that God determines should govern your thoughts and behavior from youth to old age. And through this series, you'll discover that life is a gift from God to be enjoyed. But life has serious limitations. The question is, what are those limitations? And how are you meant to live within them? Well, Tom, having a biblical philosophy of life is not necessarily a bad thing, is it? You know, the truth is, Bill, everyone has a philosophy of life. Because all that means is you have a grid through which you interpret the world and in light of which you live. Everyone has one. But how much more ideal it is for us as believers to have a biblical philosophy of life, to have a grid that isn't shaped by our own thinking or the culture in which we live, but a grid for seeing life that is shaped by the eternal word of the living God. And that's what we're gonna discover together. One of the most misunderstood books in the Bible, Ecclesiastes is going to give us insight into how we as believers should look at life in a fallen world. So much profound wisdom. Let's enjoy it together. Thanks, Tom. And friend, let's join our teacher right now on The Word Unleashed. Now, it's important for us to remember that spiritually speaking, when we look at the the events on this globe... God sits in the control tower of the universe directing all things. We understand that. God is sovereign over all that occurs. But here's the problem. Sadly, many Christians make the mistake of thinking that because they are Christians, because God is now their father, that somehow God is going to take them into his control tower and he's going to let them understand his master plan and all that he's doing in their lives. Trials and troubles and difficulties come, and what do many Christians do? They try to make sense of it all. They try to come up with some explanation. What is God doing? How can I factor this in to to my life? They work themselves into a frenzy trying to figure out why. True biblical wisdom, on the other hand, does not devote itself to the question of why. Instead, true biblical wisdom is a lot more like learning to drive than it is about being in the control tower. The key to good driving is not understanding why things are as they are, 
The foundational key to good driving is what? Seeing things exactly as they are and responding to them appropriately. That's why when you start driving, you start with an eye test. If you can't see clearly, you're not going to be a good driver. In the same way, the key to wise living is being able to be ruthlessly realistic in how you look at life on this planet. You want to live a wise life? You've got to have a clear view of what's really happening here on this planet. The book of Ecclesiastes is designed to turn each of us into realists, to help us really be able to see the truth about life here under the sun. It's one of the five books in our Bible that are called wisdom literature, the others being Job, Psalms, Proverbs, and Song of Solomon. Such wisdom literature as we have here in the Scripture has an ancient tradition. In fact, secular wisdom literature dates from about 2700 B.C. That's 600 years before Abraham. But it really reached its zenith in Israel during the time of Solomon. In fact, turn with me for a moment to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 4, and you learn something about what God did in gifting this man. 1 Kings 4, verse 29. Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. So there may have been a lot of other secular wisdom literature, but God gave Solomon wisdom that surpassed all of that. Verse 31, for he was wiser than all men, and some of the wisest men of his time are listed there, and his fame was known in all the surrounding nations." He spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. He had a, a breadth of mind that was unbelievable. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. That's the background of the book of Ecclesiastes. That's the man who wrote it. Now let's go back to the book of Ecclesiastes and let's just get a few introductory things uh, settled in our minds. First of all, where does that title Ecclesiastes come from? It is the Greek name in the Septuagint. The word Ecclesiastes, if you know the, the Greek word ekklesia, which is our word church or assembly, it comes from that name. The Hebrew name is Koheleth, from a root meaning to assemble or to gather. You'll notice Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1, the words of the preacher. That word preacher is literally one who speaks to the assembly. Perhaps an office title, but it introduces us to this man. It's possible that the This was a spiritual office in Israel. If I had time, I'd take you to Jeremiah 18, 18, where there are listed three spiritual offices in Israel. One was the prophet, 
two was the priest, and thirdly, there was the wise man or the sage. Clearly, Solomon, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, is one of the wise men ministering to the assembly that was Israel. He was a sage, the wisest of men apart from our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've already made the point that he is the author, but let's just look at that. The author is Solomon. All of the evidence points to that. You'll notice in chapter 1, verse 1, he's called the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Again, in verse 12, he's called, he says he's been king over Israel in Jerusalem. So it's during the united monarchy when all of Israel was together and he was seated in Jerusalem as its king. Verse 16 of chapter 1, he was magnified in wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before him. And chapter 2, verse 9, he was known for his amazing wealth. Put the package together, and it seems almost certain, it is certain, that the author was Solomon. That is also the voice of the history of the church. And so the one who wrote this was none other than the son of David, Solomon. Now, when did he write this book? Probably it was written late in his life. Even if, you, if you've read this book before, you know he recounts a lot of his life, a lot of what's transpired during his life. And when you get to chapter 12, he details and gives a picture of aging. He describes it like the decline of a great house. And frankly, it's far too vivid to imagine that he hadn't already begun to experience some of those very things. I think it's likely this book was written after Solomon repented of his sin. You remember late in his life, he turned from the Lord. He allowed the wives that he had married, contrary to God's law, to turn his heart. He built them temples in Jerusalem, and he he became a syncretist. He not only worshiped the true God, but to keep his wives happy, he also worshiped false gods. But God sent him, according to 1 Kings chapter 11, God spoke to him twice. God sent three different men to be a source of discipline in his life, and it seems that he came to repentance, and it's I believe the book of Ecclesiastes that is written after that repentance at the very end of his life. So probably somewhere near the end of his reign in 931 B.C. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes has fallen on very hard times. And there are two basic reasons for that. A lot of Christians sort of steer clear of it. One, because there are these apparent contradictions On the one hand, you read certain passages and it sounds existential. You know, vanity of vanities, all is vanity and chasing after wind. On the other hand, you read passages that say, eat, drink, and be merry. That sounds Epicurean. And so there are these apparent contradictions. How do you put those together? The other issue is there are some difficult passages. For example, we're told, don't be overly righteous or overly wicked. What does that mean? We're told that all men in one passage die like beasts. Now, all Solomon was saying is that we all will die. All living creatures on this planet will die. But he makes it clear in other places that death is not the end for the human soul. 
But nevertheless, there are these difficult passages and these apparent contradictions. And so this book has been one that many believers have sort of scratched their head about. Should this book really be in the canon of Scripture? Now, let me give you the three most common interpretations over the last hundred years. The first one was fairly common when I was young, and it's that this book is really man's reasoning apart from revelation. And essentially, this, this approach to the book said the reason Solomon wrote this book was to expose us to the best wisdom of an unregenerate man reflecting on life. In other words, essentially, this view of the book says, read it and see what life is like for an unbeliever and move on. The purpose is to just expose us to that wisdom, the best human wisdom in trying to work out life in a fallen world. You know, the flaw with this approach is that there is no warning in the context. In fact, as we'll see in a moment, we are encouraged to follow the directives of this book. A second approach that is still very common, this is probably the most common view of the book of Ecclesiastes, and that is this book was written to show us as true believers the vanity of life apart from God. Here's what life is like when you don't know God. So you have a spiritual man then describing what God says life without him is like, and the purpose is evangelism. Here's a great book, they would say, to share with someone and say, if you don't have God, if you don't have Christ in New Testament terms, this is what life will be like. The problem with this view is that he's called Koheleth, the preacher, literally the one who speaks to the assembly of God's people. The third view, and the view that I'm going to defend tonight and show you, is that this book really describes the vanity of life even with God. When you know God, when you walk with God, in New Testament terms, when you have come to embrace His Son as your Lord, as your Savior, life in this world can still be described as vanity. The purpose, then, of this book, I would describe in this way, it is to provide us as believers with a grid for seeing life, with a divinely inspired philosophy of life in a fallen world. Now, let me defend this and show you the support for this. I want you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes 12, and let's look at how Solomon ends this book. Notice, first of all, in verse 9, his credentials. In addition to being a wise man, a sage, the preacher, the one who spoke to the assembly of God's people, also taught the people knowledge. Now, what follows is, really, this is his job description. He was a sage, he was a preacher, and here's what he was set out to do. His goal, verse 9 says, was to teach the people knowledge. And notice his method in verse 9. 
He pondered, the word is weighed, he weighed, searched out, which has the idea of thoroughness and diligence, and arranged, which means he's put in a skillful order, many proverbs. We saw that Solomon wrote 3,000 proverbs, and those are the ones he wrote. That doesn't include the ones he assembled. Verse 10 goes on to say, The preacher sought to find delightful words. Remember now, he's talking about his ministry. He's talking about this book we call Ecclesiastes. The preacher sought to find delightful words. That is, words designed to penetrate is the idea. And it's interesting, the words of Ecclesiastes do that. I mean, even those who were opposed to Scripture will often use the words of this book. For example, there's... Hemingway's book, The Sun Also Rises, finds its title in this book. There's, if you're old enough to remember, there's The Bird's number one billboard hit, For Everything, Turn, 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 There is a Season, Turn, Turn, Turn. They borrow from these words. Why? Because they are delightful words. Notice verse 10 goes on to say, And to write... The wise man, Solomon, was concerned to perpetuate his teaching. And verse 10 says, he wanted to write words of truth. Underscore that. This is what he's saying about the contents of this book. They are words of truth, and he wanted to write them correctly. That is, honestly, straightforwardly, in a helpful way. And notice the intended results, verse 11. Here's what he wanted to accomplish. The words of wise men are like goads. The Hebrew word translated goad here is used two times in the Old Testament, here and in 1 Samuel 13, and it simply describes a large, sharp-pointed stick that was used to prod an animal. So Solomon intended this book to stimulate those who studied it to action. The words of, the, of wise men are like goads. They're to, they're to get you moving. They're to cause you to, to act in keeping with what you learn. And he says, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. Masters of collections here does not refer to the people who master them. Rather, it refers to the collection of sayings itself. It's parallel in here in this verse to the words of the wise men. So these masterful collections, might be a way to say it, are like well-driven nails. This picture, uh, it's a graphic picture. It's, it's like... The way this is structured, the way it's put together, it sinks the truth deep into the mind and permanently establishes the teaching in the memory. When you really get the book of Ecclesiastes, it never leaves. Its truths never are far from you. I don't think a week goes by in my life that my mind doesn't come back to the truths I'm going to share with you in just a moment from this book. They are like well-driven nails. So, verse 9 is the form Solomon used. Verse 10 describes his content. And verse 11 tells us what he had hoped to accomplish. 
But I want you to notice the end of verse 11, because here's the source of all of these collections of wisdom, all of these words. Notice, they are given by one capital S, shepherd. I think the translators are exactly right. Solomon is claiming that this book and its contents are from God, and it's intended to sink into your mind and memory and to goad you into action and to affect how you live. So, with that in mind, let's look at this book. Now, as we look at it, the first thing you need to underscore is the key phrase. Twenty-nine times this phrase occurs, it's under the sun. Under the sun. In other words, Solomon is investigating life on this side of the grave, in the realm of living men's activities, what we see. In fact, notice how he puts it in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done, note this, under heaven. It's what we see in this world. That's what he's investigating. Everything that happens under the watchful eye of the sun. It really defines the limits of his investigation. He will sometimes take us and let us glimpse what's happening in heaven and heaven's perspective, but that's not his focus. His focus is what you see right here on this planet. It's like, in a way, the video camera. You probably have, uh, as I do, a couple of old video cameras sitting around somewhere in addition to the, the new smartphones, which do all that even better. Honestly, I dislike video cameras because I tell you what, you end up living your life behind a camera and missing the moment itself. And after all, nobody really wants to watch it. The only thing that uh, benefits is sort of a, a keeping a, a little bit of an archive of what has happened in your family. But here's the point. What Solomon is doing in Ecclesiastes is like that video camera. He is only showing us what is in front of the lens, and that is life as it appears here under the sun. And the perspective he provides is crucial because it gives us wisdom for living in the world. Ecclesiastes is designed to turn us into realists, to help us see the truth about life here under the sun. To see life from God's perspective, it gives us a divinely inspired philosophy of life. Now, don't be scared of that phrase. Philosophy simply means the love of wisdom. And when we talk of a philosophy of life, we're, we're simply talking about the principles that governs one thought, one's thoughts and behavior. Everybody here has a philosophy of life. You may not have thought about it being your philosophy of life. You may not have written it out, but you have a philosophy. There are a guiding set of principles that determine why you make the decisions you make. What's your philosophy? It's not what you say you believe. Look at how you live. Behavior always betrays belief. So what exactly is this divinely inspired philosophy for living in the world? Okay, here we get to the heart of it. The key to understanding the book of Ecclesiastes is understanding two major propositions or themes that are throughout this book. These themes constantly recur, 
and they are examined from different angles throughout the book. The book can be outlined, but these two themes are a recurrent. Picture these two themes as sort of side-by-side railroad tracks taking you throughout the book. First of all, life is a gift from God to be enjoyed. And secondly, life has serious limitations. Life is a gift from God to be enjoyed, and life has serious limitations. Let's look at each of those together. Let me show you how, to some degree, how Solomon unfolds these in this amazing book. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part one of his series, Ecclesiastes, A Biblical Philosophy of Life. Tom will have part two for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. What does the Bible say about church membership? In Tom Pennington's book, Three Hallmarks of a Biblical Church Member, he identifies three non-negotiable hallmarks that should characterize every church member. Tom will challenge you to assess your own church membership to determine if you're meeting those hallmarks, not only for the health of your church, but for the glory of the one who gave his life for it, the Lord Jesus Christ. Purchase your copy of Three Hallmarks of a Biblical Church Member today at thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Music